Hey guys, Pastor Bear here. Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sherpsburg. You can also check us out online at www.realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. I hope you enjoy this week's message. I'm so thankful that you guys are here today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah. That's where we're going to be at. Uh, Nehemiah, if you're confused, is right after Ezra. All right. We've been going through Ezra. We're going to go right to Nehemiah. So get your notebooks, pen, uh, and and your your Bible out and turn to Nehemiah. I want to let you guys know where we are in Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah uh, is following Ezra. Now, the temple has been built, and Ezra has, has had the people repent. The people have repented of their sins, and they have, they have repented of their sins. They have come together now, and uh, the whole nation has, has purified themselves by doing the thing that God asked them to do to begin with. And so you fast forward 12 years later, and Nehemiah the new book here, he gets a visit from his brother, all right? He gets a visit from his brother, and what he heard from his brother was something very negative. Here's what he heard. He said, listen, the walls around Jerusalem, all right, we have the temple built, and that's all great, but back then, you guys, you had to have protection from enemies coming in, and he's like, listen, the walls around Jerusalem are all messed up. They're all in tatters. They're all messed up. He said, I'm just going to tell you, he said, people are attacking, and it's a constant thing. We have no protection against our enemies, and we need protection against our enemies, all right? He goes to Nehemiah and says that. Now, Nehemiah was a servant. He was a servant in the king's court, and you know what he did? He was a cupbearer. Do you know what a cupbearer does? Here's what a cupbearer does. It would be like if I said, Blake, son, go get me a bottle of water. And he got me a bottle of water. And Connor stood beside me. And I'm not sure if Blake has poisoned the bottle of water between that place out there and right here. And so, did you say you would poison it, Blake? I think he said I would. So, anyway, uh, he didn't say I would. He better not say I would. (laughs) Um, So, Connor would stand here, and they would bring the drink, And Connor would take a drink, and then everybody would wait for a little bit. And if Connor didn't kill over dead, the king would then drink the drink because no one had tried to kill him, and that's what a cupbearer did. It was a real prestigious job. Can you tell? How would you like to be the one that says, hey, listen, we want to give you a job, all right? We want to feed you and protect you and everything, but here's the situation. You're going to make sure the king doesn't get poisoned. Because if anybody gets poisoned, it's going to be you. He was basically a glorified butler. He wasn't a scribe like Ezra. He wasn't, he wasn't, but he had found favor. He had found favor, and he was able to get a job as part of the king's court. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a king. He wasn't royalty. He was a glorified butler. And what we find is, is especially we're starting in chapter 2, and we're going to read, what we find is, is we find that he has, he has come in out of great concern. We're going to talk about three things today, all right? And I want you to write this down. We're going to talk about three things today. We're going to talk about concern, confession, and commitment. 
three C's. Can I tell you that I, when I used to go to church, I was younger, and I used to go to church, and when the preacher would do like the three C's of this or the four D's of that, that is so typical churchy, and I hate it, but it fits here, so I'm using it, all right? Uh, the three C's, it's, it's, uh, it's concern and then confession and then commitment, and you're going to see that pattern, and that is going to answer the question here. How does true change begin? That's the question we're going to answer today, and we're going to answer with those three words. How does true change begin? How many people right now have something in your life where you're like, you know what? I want to change that in my life. How many people? Raise your hand. Apparently, everyone else is doing great. Everyone, all right, man. So you guys have something you want to change, right? There's something that, that, is, that, that is sitting in front of you, and you want to change it. Well, we can look at Nehemiah. We can look at him and see his example. Let me read starting in verse, uh, verse 1 from chapter 1 of Nehemiah. It says, In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews that had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Now, I want to stop there and let you know that Nehemiah was one of the Jews that did not go back as part of the exile. And you see the story of the Jews that didn't go back as part of the exile in the book of Esther. You see those people in the book of Esther. And so he wanted to know about those people that have went back out of captivity and about how things are going in Jerusalem. And they said to me this, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And here is his response. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed for the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenants of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people of Israel. I confess, you get that? I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned against you. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you were unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you were exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Let me stop there and let you guys know something. God really loves it whenever you remind him of his promises to you. Here's the key. You have to know what God's promises to you are in order to remind God what those promises are. He likes to be reminded, though, because it lets him know that you are serious about following him, and it lets him know that you understand who he is as a, as a God and as a character here. You understand his character, and you're reminding him, so that's what Nehemiah's doing. Nehemiah said this. He said, hey, listen, I know we've screwed up, but you said that we would be scattered, and we have been scattered, but you said in your word that if we would follow your decrees and your commands, you said if we will do the right thing, you said if we will turn to you, you said if we will walk with you, if you, if, if not, not if we will invite you to walk with us, but if we will walk with you, you said that you would do this and this and this, and that's exactly what he says here. And then in verse 10, he says, The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those 
of us who delight in honoring you, please grant me success today by making the king, here's the key, making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the cupbearer. Early the, sh- the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. You get that? All right, someone brought the wine. He drank the wine. It wasn't poison. He's getting ready to serve his wine. I had never appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. When I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, it is to please the king. If you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? After I told him how long he would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Now, you have to know a couple of things here, all right? The question is, and you may be asking this, why in the world did Ezra have favor with this government here, this king, this this Persian government? Why did Ezra have favor? And now, why is it why is it that Nehemiah is in the is is working for this government, and why is it that he is going before the king, and why is it that when he asks something of the king, he asks for quote unquote family medical leave, he asks for time off? <laughs> why is it that he gets this favor? And we're going to see later on that not only does he get the favor, but the king says, "Hey, listen, not only am I going to send you back, and I'm going to I'm going to provide for you all the materials and stuff to do this." On the way back, I'm sending a whole entourage with you so that you can be protected along the way because it was a very dangerous trip. Why do you think that is? Let me tell you why that is. It has to do with another book of the scriptures. And you know what book that is? It's the book of Esther. It's the book of Esther. When Esther did what she did as part of her obedience to God to save the Israelite people that had been left back, the remnant that had been left back, when Esther did what she did, she became the queen. And when she became the queen, she became part of the family. And when she became part of the family, those things that concern, those things that concern the Esther concern the king. Are you with me now? Esther was not the queen that they're talking about here. Some people think it was, but the dates and stuff don't add up. Esther would have already passed by then and the new, the new king. But I'll tell you what, a lot of people, a lot of people think that some of the, that the king here was actually from the line of Esther and that Esther had, it was a family thing. He was concerned, he was concerned about these people because those things that your family's concerned about, you're concerned about, and he wanted to take advantage. And so I want to show you that by showing you this. The decisions that you make, and I want you to hear this, the decisions that you make as a person right now, parents, moms, dads, the grandparents, the decisions you make right now have lasting effects, not just for your generation, but for generations after that. And the obedience to go before the king, even though she could have been killed, Esther's obedience to go before the king had a lasting impact, not just for her generation, but the next generation. That's what this is. The next generation also was impacted by it. And because of Esther's obedience, not only did the temple get rebuilt, but also now we're going to see eventually that the wall around Jerusalem will be built. And it will be built in 52 days, very quickly, not like the temple, 52 days. It will be built because of obedience from one person. If you don't think you can change your family line, you're wrong. One person is all it took. And that obedience went all the way down even to right here today. And I wanted to point that out to you. But here's the question. How do I start? 
What do I do if, I see, if I'm concerned about something? What if I do if there, is, if there is an issue in my life? Well, the first thing, it starts with this, and I've already told you this. It starts with concern. Okay, Nehemiah said this. Whenever they came and told him what was going on, he was so concerned. And the scripture says that he literally knelt down and began to weep because of the, of the situation that was happening with the people of Israel in Jerusalem. They said, listen, the walls are torn down. It's not a good situation, and they're struggling. And, and because of that, he had a deep concern for those people. Nehemiah 1.4 says this. It says this. It says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, listen, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed for the God of heaven, to the God of heaven to do something. He had a grave concern. He had a vested interest and he had a grave concern. And I want to tell you something. In order for you to make changes in your life, truly, and I'm not talking about saying, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go on, on this little, uh, this little, I'm going to do this for a few hours or for a few weeks or for a few months. I'm talking about a significant lifelong change. In order for you to have a lifelong change, I want you to hear this. You have got to, you have got to have a grave concern. You have got to have a deep concern. It has to matter to you more than other things matter to you, all right? It has to matter to you more than other things matter to you. And I want you to hear this truth, okay? You will never be moved to change until your concern outweighs your comfort. I want you to get that. You will never be moved to change until your concern outweighs your comfort, until your concern overrides the comfort that you feel. Because, you know, when we're in a situation, we get used to this or that. We get used to doing this or doing that on a daily basis. And it becomes our comfort. And we, we literally live in a place that we know we're not supposed to be living. We act in a way that we know we're not supposed to be acting. We do things that we know we're not supposed to be doing. We know it goes against God. We know, that, we know what the scripture says. But when we live in that area, when we live in that, we have to have our concern override our comfort. Because if our concern never overrides our comfort, you will never make a change. You never will make a change if it does. And so you can forget it. If all you want to do is change your exterior behavior, if you just want to say, well, I'm going to start doing this, and I'm going to start doing that, I want to tell you something. It's never going to work. It's never going to work because your concern, your deep-seated concern, and you honestly have to get a little bit angry if you want to know the truth about it, okay? I'll assure you that some of this crying out Nehemiah did and some of these things, he got really angry about this. He was so deeply concerned that he got kind of angry about this. It's the same thing I told you about the guy who was in Haiti and who's, who the kid, I showed you the video where the kid died. His concern was so grievous. He was so grieved by the situation that he ended up changing his whole life because he was concerned about this. And that's exactly the same thing that happened in Nehemiah. And it's the same thing that has to happen to you if you want to change. If you want to change, you have to have your concern outweigh your comfort. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie The Blind Side. You guys seen the movie The Blind Side? The Blind Side, Michael Orr. They're from Memphis, Tennessee. They go to a private school in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, the Blind Side. Um, uh, Hugh Freeze was the coach in The Blind Side. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but it was Coach Hugh Freeze. He was the coach of Ole Miss. Um, he, uh, he was the coach in The Blind Side. So Hugh Freeze, this guy, this, this massive man came in who was usually a kid, but he came in. And, um, and the story is, is that the lady in the family, the, the husband was a very successful businessman. He owned over 30 Taco Bells. If you guys wonder what he did, Taco Bells, uh, all kinds of different fast food restaurants in Memphis. 
and they went to this private school, and, and, the, and he was used to his wife doing these crazy things, but she saw this kid, and she goes up to him, and the whole story is about the deep-seated concern that this mother has for this child, and the whole story tells how she was so concerned that no matter what else happened, she was going to help this kid. And, 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 and we love stories like that. We love seeing that. But here's my invitation to you. Let that be your own life. Let you be concerned about other things in your own life so much that you're like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm drawing the sand. I'm lying in the sand right here. I was talking to someone this week about this. I decided whenever I was, whenever I was 20 years old, I decided that, that alcoholism, literally, that, that alcohol was not going to be a part of my destiny. <laughs> I was not going to do those things, all right? Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. This may shock you. I'm not a teetotaler, all right? I'm not a teetotaler at all. I don't think that's biblical at all. If someone, I just don't. You may disagree with me. Uh, you'd be wrong, but you can disagree with me because it's not biblical at all. But I'll tell you this. Excess is, is biblical. Not drinking in excess is biblical. And I want to let you know this. I decided at 20, I don't know where this came from, but at 20 years old, I decided I'm looking at that which I've grown up with. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to do that at all. That's not going to be. As a matter of fact, that's going to stop. That's going to stop in my family line. I'm not doing that. I'm not passing that along to my son. I'm not doing that. And so that was a concern of mine. And you have to have the same thing in your life. You really do. But here's the problem with that. What we do is, is we try, we try to do everything in our own power. Because unless we're not connected to the source, and so we try to do everything in our own power, which is why, if you'll notice, this is what Nehemiah did not do. Nehemiah did not get the report, and they came up and said, hey, listen, I want to tell you, brother, how is things going in Jerusalem? Oh, man, it's terrible, it's terrible. He didn't go, oh, my gosh, I've got to go see the king. Hey, this is all screwed up. We've got to do something. He didn't do any of that. You know what he did? You know what he did? He dropped right down on his knees, face down. And you know what he really did? He wailed out and mourned and fasted. But you know what he really did? He said, God, I can't do this by myself. I need you to come along and to join me in this process. I invite you, God, to come and to walk alongside with me. And that's number two. Number two is confession. Number two is confession. He poured his heart out. He got real with who God was. And he confessed that he couldn't do this job, this thing that he knew needed to be done. And that right there, y'all, is the biggest problem that you have and that I have in our life today. Because we first try to do everything on our own, and we never invite God to come in and take over and give you the power and the strength and, and, and ju just, the, just the, uh, the boldness to do what God wants to do in your life to begin with. And we try to do it on our own, and we fail time after time after time after time. The first thing he didn't do, he didn't run in panic and immediately run straight into the king and say, King, this is a situation. It's all a mess. My brother's come over. He's still hanging out with me. It is a mess. What are we going to do? He didn't do that. He went to the source of power first. 
And then he went to get permission, but he already had favor with the earthly power. That's what he did. Peter's the same way. In the scriptures, Peter, in the, in the New Testament, if you read the New Testament with Peter, you're not going li- you're gonna, to you're like Peter very well because Peter was a screw-up. Peter would ready, shoot, aim. That's what he would do, all right? That's Peter. He always wanted, you know, Peter was the one in the Garden of Gethsemane that cut the, cut the guy's ear off. Oh, I'm going to do it. Right before, the night before he died, he was like, no, Jesus, no, 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 man. I got you. I got you. I got you. Nah, Peter, come on now. Before, before the sun even comes up, you know what I mean? The roosters are going to crow. Come on now. You know, that was how he was the whole time. He, wanted, he can do it. He can do it. He can do it. So if you read the book in the New Testament, if you read the, the, the four Gospels, you see a Peter who is always wanting to do it on his own. But then if you read the book of Acts and you read First and Second Peter, you see a totally different Peter. He's doing it in the power of God's Holy Spirit. He got it. And it's so interesting because you know when he got it? Don't miss this part. Do you know when Peter got it? You know the story. Jesus meets him on a beach and says this, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. And he did it three times. And you may think that Jesus was being annoying. (laughs) And you may think that, you know, some people think, well, he was reminding him of the three times he denied him. No, he wasn't. Let me tell you what he was doing. Jesus said this, Peter, will you absolutely, unashamedly love me to the death? That's what the word means that he used. And Peter said, Jesus, right now, I can love you like a friend. And then Jesus said this, well, okay, if you can't love me the first way, can, 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 you, can you love me deeply? Can, 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 you, can you love me obediently? Can you do that, Peter? And Peter said, Jesus, I can love you like a friend. That's all I got. And finally, Jesus looked at him a third time and said, Jesus, but Peter... Can you love me like a friend? And he said, yes. And that's what happened. You know what happened with Peter? He got real. He got real with where he was. He said, look, I'm not going to try to be that bold person anymore because I have already majorly screwed up. And if this God will let me even come near to him, I'm going to be 100% transparent and I'm going to be 100% real. And that's what Peter was. And that's what you need to be. Jesus met him exactly where he was and said, great, we will start here and I will build the whole foundation of the church itself on you if we can just start right there. And that's what he confessed and that's exactly what Nehemiah did too. That's exactly what he did. The final thing he did is he committed. He committed in Nehemiah 1, verse um, let me make sure I got this right. In me and my Nehemiah verse uh, eleven says, "O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayer of those who delight in honoring it. Please hear this. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Please, Lord, let me have favor. Let me have. If, if you'll let me have favor, I will do what you want me to do, God. Please, God, let me have favor. There was concern." But then there was confession, and then came the commitment. And here's the truth of the matter. 
is most of the time we jump from concern to commitment. You guys have done it a lot in your life, and I have too. The preacher starts talking, and the first thing you want to do is come down here and you want to commit everything. Oh, I'm going to do this different. You may leave out here today and say, you know what? I'm going to do this different. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Can I tell you guys something? You guys need to say this instead. With God's help, I know he's calling me to do this. And with his help, if I submit myself to him, then my life will be different. If I submit myself to his word, my life will be different. If I submit myself to his will, my life will be different. A friend of mine, and I'm going to close with this, a friend of mine wanted to start running. All right? And let's just say he was a large man. Okay? He was a large man. He wanted to start running. And so he did what any guy would do. He went out and got a brand new pair of shoes. Okay? And he got a brand new pair of shoes, and he took off running from his house, and he was going to go run three miles the first day. Now, anyone who's ever run knows that you're not running three miles the first day, all right? He took off running, and the first little bit was so good. And then he started hurting a little bit. And then he started hurting more and hurting more and hurting more. And finally, he started walking, and he kept walking, but he was walking away from his house. He wasn't walking back to his house. He was walking away from his house because he had marked out three miles. He was a mile and a half out and could hardly walk. This was before cell phones, unless you had a bag phone in your car and there was no car around. He literally had to walk and walk and walk back. And guess what happened to him? He had knee replacement surgery after that little jaunt. He hurt his knee, had to end up having knee replacement surgery. Do you know what he did? He tried to do everything all at once. He tried to go ahead of the process. He tried to do everything in his own power. But the truth of the matter is, is it's a process. And the truth of the matter is, is it takes a while. And so I want you to be encouraged by this as we close. Whatever it is that God's trying to encourage you to do, whatever it is that, that he is wanting from you, it's probably going to take about two to three times longer than you thought. And it's probably going to take about two to three times longer than you want it to. But here's the reason why. Because when you're in the process of doing what God wants you to do, and when you're in the struggle, that is when God is teaching you the most. Listen, guys, it's not when you get debt free that you've learned the most. It's the process of getting out of debt. It's not when you let go of that anger at the very end that you learn the most. It's that process of humbling yourself and going through and submitting yourself and learning that. It's not, it's not when you, for some of you teenagers, it's not when you decide to go over and sit with that, with that kid who, who doesn't have anybody else around. It's the process of God speaking to you over and over and over again until finally you submit to his will and you go do what he asked you to do. That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah had a concern. He didn't skip to the commitment. He then confessed. And then at that point, at that point, he committed to do what God would have him do. And ironically enough, we're going to see throughout the story, when he began to begin again, when he began to begin the building of the, of the wall around again, it happens a lot, a lot faster than the first time with Ezra. It happens a lot faster than the temple. And we're going to start looking at why that happens that way. I want to encourage you today that if there's a concern that you have, 
Don't immediately today and be concerned. When you, if you're concerned, don't immediately try to start making commitments. Instead of doing that, what I want you to do is, is turn to God and ask him what he has to say about it. Invite him to join you. And when you do that, when you do that, this process will be slower, but it will also be lasting. And I think it will be eternal because that's who God is. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for um, your word. Thank you so much for the people that came today to hear exactly what you would have to say. Lord, I, I thank you for the book of Nehemiah and the, uh, just the, the example that it is for, for me, uh, the, the, uh, the way that it really speaks to me and the way that it, gosh, it teaches me so much about my own self because I want everything to happen yesterday. But the process that you take us through is what teaches us not to repeat the process again. And so it takes time. And God, I, I, I have learned to embrace that. Embrace the change. Embrace exactly the process. Lord, if we'll embrace the process of change, it will be a lot easier for us. And then, when we've done it, we can begin to teach other people. God, that's what we want to be. Let people here who have heavy hearts this morning come and lay them on your altar. God, I pray that you would change lives. Change lives through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or if you would like to contact us at Real Church, please go to our website at www.realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us on Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Also, check out our website or Facebook page for directions. Until next time, God bless, and remember to love God, love others, and live real.